This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more. Welcome to The Way Forward. This is Greg Bartalis. My guest today is David Lau, founder and CEO of DPL. David, welcome. Hi, Greg. Great to see you. Likewise, tell us about you and your business and what's going on today and what you see coming down the pike. So I'm the founder and CEO of DPL Financial Partners. We're a platform which delivers commission-free annuities for fee-based, fee-only advisors. And we're the first of our kind. We you know, created this marketplace, much like the way Schwab did with OneSource originally to have no-load mutual funds. We've done the same thing with insurance. So we're working with carriers across the industry to bring commission-free products together into a marketplace driven by technology. So you've got technology to support you know, decisions made around products you know, relative, to, you know, relative to clients. And it's important because for the first time, RIAs or fee-only advisors are able to incorporate insurance and annuities into their practice in a way that matches their business model. You know, before with commission-driven products, RIAs really couldn't use them. You know, without losing uh, AUM. You know, not making you know uh, taking assets from their management rather than bringing them in. And so, it's really important as advisors have moved from being just asset managers to being holistic planners and and wealth managers that RIAs can fulfill all of their clients' financial needs within their four walls rather than sending them you know, to effectively a competitor to get part of their financial plan fulfilled. And what, what has been the um, impact of rates and market turbulence and just what's gone on in the past year? Yeah, so interest rates, you know, one, insurance is you know, a great asset to hold, you know, relative to fixed income because, you know, insurance can bring some stability to a portfolio. It can dampen volatility within a portfolio. And with interest rates being so low, annuities are really even more valuable in a low interest rate environment than in normalized interest rate environments, and with advisors looking, one, for yield in fixed income, and two, to meet retirement income needs for their clients, it's really a challenge looking at traditional bonds. I mean, so much so that we hear from advisors that we work with, and we work with thousands of advisors across the country, uh, that they don't even look at bonds as income generating anymore, which is kind of an amazing thing when you think about it, because they're in the category of fixed income, right? By definition, they're supposed to be income generating, but it's really this slow erosion based on declining interest rates that have advisors looking at these products as you know bonds where they don't even generate income anymore. It's just ballast to the portfolio. And so where advisors have historically looked at insurance and said, you know, insurance is expensive. Well, 40% of a client portfolio allocated to something that doesn't even generate income, that's really expensive insurance. So what we've done in eliminating commissions drops the price of an annuity by about 85%. So now you've taken a product that's historically been expensive and unusable into a really valuable asset, particularly in this interest rate environment. Yeah, and in in terms of that search for yield, which is really pressing for 
retirees in particular. I mean, even traditional assets like you think about REITs, right? They used to yield four or five percent. Now right. that's down to what two, three percent, right? So yes, it's really harder and harder. There's, you're, you're reaching more for yield, and then even with stocks, when you're getting it, you might have to pay twenty times earnings for three percent yield, which you right. wouldn't have to in you know years past. So yeah, the money's flowing out a lot of it's looking out beyond besides bonds looking to go elsewhere but it's tricky so. it's it's tricky and what and so what you've seen and there's lots of data you know BlackRock's produced some studies uh, you know Schwab we've had our own studies that have shown there's because of that phenomenon there's more risk creeping into the portfolio of your typical client right so 60 40 a lot of people say 60 40 is dead whatever you know whatever but what you see is 60 40 almost doesn't exist anymore everyone's migrated to 70, 30, 80, 20, uh, because you've had this, you know, dueling dynamics of a rising equity market for whatever the last 14 years. So equities are, are, you know, going up and consistently going up maybe until recently, um, and interest rates going down. So it makes it a, a problem for an advisor to rebalance in the way they used to. And clients don't want to see it, right? I mean, if you're an advisor and you're trying to convince a client, we should go into this bond yielding, you know, 150 basis points when the equity markets have been going up, that's a difficult conversation. Your clients are like, why do I want to get out of the market? So it creates a real problem. And and frankly, that worries me a lot, you know, as we get into a, you know, into a volatile you know, market right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky because you've, you've addressed bonds quite well here, but also for equities, we've had, what, 12, 14-year bull run, and now it looks like the Fed's going to be tightening for some time, right? We're going to have several rates. So there's, in a way, a new paradigm, right? The old 30-year run of ever lower rates. I guess that's part of the reason a lot of money is flowing into alts, right? They're looking... For non-correlation, they're looking for income there, and and that's historically been a, been a problem, right? So alts have always been billed as you know this non-correlated asset that can provide you know you know yields that go up when the rest of the market's going down, and and that really hasn't proven to be true, right? So and you also look at you know a lot of expense typically in alts and illiquidity and and other issues. So it's all really part of this ongoing story of more risk going into the client portfolio. And so whether it's from lower rated, lower quality fixed income products, looking into alts, you know, more, you know, heavy, heavily, you know, weight to equities, there's just more and more risk into the client portfolio, which, you know, is a just a, a tremendous challenge and a worrisome thing because frankly, it's inappropriate, right? I mean, when you go down to looking at suitability and how you invest clients, you know, we've gotten into the range where, you know, most people, it's not suitable to have them 80-20. You know, it's not suitable to have them seven thirty, you know, seventy thirty. But you know, that's been the way of the world, and it's been okay yeah. because we've had this rising equity market, which is kind of masking that risk. Right, and that leads to some inertia because it's worked for. And there's the to whole primacy totally. recency bias. We tend to be influenced by that, which is most recent. So there's yes. an element of that, and you could even throw into the mixed home country bias, right? Like, yes. and and so. Uh, right. To, to do a shift, it's hardly going to be a sudden pivot. It's a gradual process and you have to right. overcome some long instilled behaviors and thoughts. So, Yes. And so and that's you know where you know we come in also is we're in delivering the products we're delivering. We, you know, we can you know, we we're talking about yields before. You know, for example, when you look at just a simple fixed annuity, you know, we can bring you know, a fixed annuity once you've taken you know, the commissions out for you know, a three year product that's paying over three percent. 
you know, so you know, you wind up with you know really compelling products and value propositions, but because of that inertia, you know, for advisors who've been you know pretty comfortable for the last fourteen years, and because they've historically not been able to use the products, we we're doing a lot of education, you know, for advisors, you know, doing a, you know doing a lot of you know bringing them up to speed on on products and and overcoming a lot of you know historic misconceptions about annuities. Right, there was that way of seeing it, a certain reputation, a lot of people were just like adamant, never, never. And then you've seen a real, like, not a wholesale buy-in, but there are a lot of people who were in the past would have said no or on defense or are saying like, okay, maybe now it does make sense, right? So there's been a shift in behavior. Totally. And and that historic division has really been about down compensation lines, right? So for the commissioned, you know, broker, they've always loved annuities because they paid really handsome commissions, you know, and still do, right, through many channels. And then for the fee-only advisor, they didn't like annuities because they couldn't get paid, right? It meant loss of revenue because they're allocating to a product they couldn't bill on. So where it's not, there not been controversy is with academics. When you look at retirement researchers, they're universally supportive of you know utilizing annuities for retirement income. Let me ask you how the peace of mind, the certainty of annuities, how is that seen vis-a-vis the past few years with COVID and just everything. Yeah. Uh, like in terms of people seeking something that's like a sure thing, given that the world is changing so rapidly around us. Yes. Do you see a link between that and maybe uh, an increasing desire for for this burden to hand certainty? Yeah, no doubt. And we see it, you know, not only in, you know, kind of our anecdotal, you know, interaction with all the advisors we support, but in, you know, there's academic research that supports it as well. You know, so for example, right when COVID hit and the market drops 30%, you know, the advisors that work with us, um, for people that they've used annuities for, they're like, wow, we really see a difference. You know, those people aren't panicking as much. You know, they've got their income secure. You know, and when I tell them, which they were all saying, stay the course. You know, don't panic. Don't sell out. Don't, you know, don't do anything rash. Stay the course. This will rebound and it will correct. And for those people who had their income secure with an annuity, you know, the advisors were telling us they're much more willing to hear that, you know, hear that advice. For the ones who didn't, they're panicking, right? They're, you know, worrying about what happens. So, like I said, we hear that anecdotally, but you also see it in academic research. You know, and the basic way we talk about it, which you know a lot of academics you know recommend, we try to do everything and you know, make all of our recommendations based on academic research, is look to fund essential expenses in retirement with guaranteed income. So let's start with your social security, maybe a pension if you're lucky enough to have one these days, uh, which few people are, any other sources of, of guaranteed income. And then let's top that off with an annuity, right? So that your essential expenses will always be taken care of. And then you can use things that produce variable returns like equities for discretionary spending, for legacy, for things that can be variable. And that kind of dynamic works so well for clients, right? I get that. I want my house, my medical, my food all guaranteed. That makes that helps me sleep at night. And then I get it. Let's use, you know, the the variable returns of the market to fund things that, you know, I can choose to live yeah, with so, or without. So the foundation is built on need and the what's atop it is the want effectively and you Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, different different vernacular. You know, people <laughs> talk about the same dynamic. Right. Your needs or your essentials and your wants yeah. and your discretionary. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. 
Interesting. Tell me more about the RIAs and just the uptake or, or lack thereof. I mean, what, what are you seeing? Any <laughs> yes. dynamics? What's, what's notable that's worth sharing? Yeah, so we launched DPL four years ago. So, you know, coming out of, I'd been the chief operating officer at Jefferson National, which was an insurance carrier focused on RAs. You know, I launched this platform so that we could have, you know, a better solution for RAs. Rather than coming from just a single manufacturer's point of view producing product, I thought really the, the solution that RAs need is a robust marketplace of insurance products from carriers across the industry with all kinds of different products that can meet their meet their you know, client needs. And it's been, so we look at it in two ways. From the business point of view, you know, we have a membership model. RAs join DPL, and we've got, as I said, thousands who've, who've joined. From the business point of view, RAs get it immediately, right? What I was talking about earlier. We need to provide holistic solutions for our clients. Insurance is part of that. We get that. We understand that. From a business point of view, it's a no-brainer. It's business 101. Get more wallet share from your existing clients. From the product adoption point of view, it's you know it's a little slower because there is that education and the you know preconceived notions you know of of annuities and insurance. There's so much education to be done you know for advisors. So you know we've seen a lot of uptake. You know we've you know we've sold over a billion dollars of you know product in a you know very short period of time, uh, but. You know, it's that's that's a little slower, and as you would expect, because there's lots of questions to be answered. You know, let me understand the products. How does it fit into my business? How do I present it to my client? How does it show up on a statement? You know, all those kind of things, which we've solved for, but it's an educational process. So, when when an advisor who was, let's say, previously a skeptic, for those specifically that actually have a change in thinking. Um, to the extent that you can answer this, do you know what what is behind the change in thinking? Is it is it often the trusted peer who says, "Listen, this is this is okay," or is it that they do their own research, crunch the numbers, and come to it, or is it a combination of speaking with people, hearing, etc.? Yeah, it's it's definitely all of those things. So we we again try to bring a lot of academic research forward. We do a lot of education. You know, we've been working with a lot of advisors, so definitely that peer to peer word of mouth. Um, you know, get some, you know, some, you know, thought leaders in the industry, you know, supporting what we're doing. All of that is helpful. But I tell you, the one thing that is most helpful is our technology. So the technology is the proof point. So annuities are tremendously valuable. So, for example, if you're looking to fund retirement income for your client in a low interest rate environment, uh, we've got a tool that can help you compare your fixed income uh, you know, approach to, you know, annuities. So let's say you want to fund $50,000 a year in income for a client for 30 years. How much would that cost in today's fixed income rate market? Well, it would cost about a million five. So you'd have to allocate a million five of a client portfolio to generate that amount of income for 30 years. We can fund that with an annuity for about half that about 750,000 and that's going to take care of longevity risk, sequence of returns risk. And so when an advisor sees that as one really prominent advisor, you know, told me when we showed them the technology, I can't unsee this. So when they actually see, you know, put aside the biases, put put aside your preconceived notions and actually examine the products, that's really the biggest, you know, light bulb. When you're a fiduciary, you can't ignore that. What can you say about upfront costs just 
anything in terms of direction or et cetera? I mean, Upfront costs on the products? Yeah. So, yeah. So they basically go away. So when you think about a commission here, you know, here's how it works in an annuity. You know, there's two major distribution costs in traditional annuities, which is why like annuities was part of the impetus for starting DPL. You know, annuities and insurance are so far behind the rest of the market. You know, all it, most advisors have moved to fee-based or fee-only. So with the annuity, you have, you know, the upfront commission, you know, which might be six, eight percent, maybe more in some bad products, right. uh, frankly. And then you've got wholesaling costs. You know, it's this, these are still products that are massively wholesaled. They're sold one-to-one. And wholesaling costs can be two percent. So you take those you know, combined distribution costs, you put them into the product, and then you wind up with a pretty expensive product. Right, which I think has been historically part of the knock on them. Ex- yes, exactly. Yeah. So the average variable annuity, for example, is almost 150 basis points just to own the product. That's before you buy in a, in a fund yeah, you know, yeah. inside That's- it, which is also going to be expensive. And then you add a rider onto that. And on average, you've got a variable annuity that costs you 365 basis points. And if you want to think about in, in terms of dollars, if you have a $200,000 account in a traditional commissioned variable annuity, you're paying $700 a month to own that product. Mm. It's, it's, it's crazy. And people don't even realize it, number one. And number two, what kind of lifetime $700 a month you know, product or service have you ever signed up for without comparison shopping? Um, and that's never happened. But when you take the commission out and you take those wholesaling costs mm-hmm. out, you take the cost of the product from 150 basis points to 20 or 30 basis right. points. So now that creates a valuable product. Tell me about the demand for annuities along the age curve. Let, let's say someone who's maybe 60, 70, or 80, and more recently, what's what's the relative desire for them? Yeah, so one of the things you know that's part of our education, you know, for advisors is there's all kinds of different annuities. You know, many people like lump them into an annuity, right? Right, and we you know when we hear about some Frankenstein, you know combination of the the worst features of various products but so by by age range you know we see different products are are you know attractive so for younger clients you know, who might be high income earners who are maxing out their 401k their IRA well a simple low cost investment only variable annuity which can give them additional tax deferral for say 20 basis points that's a really valuable product for accumulation um, then as you get older older, you start looking at, you know, products that can be, you know, replace fixed income. We talked a little bit about that before. So, you know, fixed annuities, fixed indexed annuities. And as you get closer and near retirement, you want to start looking at products that are going to generate income. Right. So, so acknowledging there are all these different types, though, what age uh, roughly are people most receptive to them? Yeah. So I think it's, you know, 55 to 60 is where, you know, most, where, where I think it's not only they're mo- the client's most receptive, but that's really where you're going to get the most value, mm-hmm. and you're going to have the most product options that can make sense. You know, because too often, you know, advisors are waiting until retirement until they're talking about how they're going to fund retirement income. And then when you look at annuities, you've now lessened, you know, the the set of products that that could be you know valuable to the client. Okay, great. 
I wanted to ask you, this is a Baron's tradition you may have heard of, like for an actionable idea. And I, again, you just offered several, but is there anything else that comes to mind? Yeah. The, I mean, the biggest thing to me, you know, for advisors is to get educated on, you know, commission-free annuities because these are valuable structures. I, you know, I say often, and, you know, I've heard it you know, said to me, this is the most important product innovation since the ETF. This, you know, the value that these products can bring to your clients and your firm uh, is tremendous. And so kind of forget about, you know, the paradigm of commissioned products. We all know that doesn't work. You know, they're expensive, complex, all that stuff. These are not your father's Oldsmobile. They're not your father's, you know, your father's annuities. So, you know, if when you have an open mind to looking at the category, uh, they can bring tremendous value. So, you know, check us out at uh, dplfp.com and uh, or you know, reach out to one of our consultants and they can help you get started and you know, with your understanding and, and usage of annuities and insurance generally. Okay, and I'd like to actually end on a personal note. I, I read somewhere that you're a Boston Red Sox fan. <laughs> I am. You are. So tell me, are, are you a fan more of a particular era, or who are your top three favorite players? Maybe that's a better way to ask it. Oh, wow. So there's a lot. So I'll tell you, I'm a Red Sox fan because when I was a kid, I liked the color red. And the Sox played the Reds in the World Series in, in 1975. And my dad's like, you got to pick one. And I'm like, well, I go for the green monster. This was cool, you know, green monster. So I picked the Red Sox. And some of my favorite all-time players, even though I you know, never saw him play, was Ted Williams. You know, I just you know, lo- love the stories of Ted Williams. Uh, he's amazing. Wade Boggs. Uh, was you know another one who I'd you know get up and run to the morning paper and check out the box score and see how many hits usually he got. like four for five or whatever. <laughs> that, that's that's <laughs> yeah. right, just an absolute hitting machine. Um, and uh, Jim Rice and and Fred Lynn, they were the Gold Dust Twins as as rookies together. Uh, you know, back in my youth. Yeah, you know, but it's. Um yeah, Ted Williams, I mean, American hero, the fight, fighter pilot, um, yes. Wade Boggs, the beer drinking hero <laughs> and, right. and, and chicken eating hero. <laughs> yes. Um, Jim Rice, recent Hall of Fame inductee. And also, I don't know if you know the story, someone hit a foul ball and it hit this yes. poor kid in the face. She was bleeding profusely. And it was Jim Rice, of all people, who yes. rushed there, picked up this girl and brought her into the dugout to safety. Yes. Um, and that's a really not even a lot of fans aren't aware of that. But I thought that was an interesting point about him. Yes. Yeah. And, and a, a guy who I thought was overlooked, it depends on how you think about the Hall of Fame. You know, a lot of people vote for accumulators, people who put up lots of stats over a long period of time. I tend to favor the guys who are dominant. And Rice, for a decade, was the most feared hitter in baseball. From like 77 to 85, 87, he was a beast. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also a quick little final note on Fred Lynn, not to digress and make <laughs> this a baseball podcast, but he had a, he started I think in seventy five. Yes. And he had um, if he had such a charmed beginning because he won Rookie of the Year, and then I think the next and, and, and MVP MVP and, and Rookie and of the Year Rookie in the was, World Series. So yes. All, you know I don't the stars all aligned, and then he <laughs> went on a very good career, but not a Hall of Famer. But. No. No. Exactly. Anyway, so um, thank you for sharing that. I'm actually a Baltimore Orioles fan, for the record. It's kind of strange. I grew up in New York. There's a whole backstory to that. So, well, I grew up in D.C., so Baltimore was the closest team. I used to go up there. I've got some connections with Cal Ripken. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, just a huge fan. I always appreciate 
the Orioles. They had a great DNA defense pitching. They got Palmer, you know, McNally. You got, I mean, the whole, there's Betty Murray, Ripken, et cetera. Oh, yeah. I've got some great stories for you, but we'll have, we'll have to okay. do that another time. Very good. Um, well, my guest has been David Lau, founder and CEO of DPL. Uh, this is Greg Bartalis with Barron's The Way Forward. This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more.